Okay, welcome back to the United podcast and a very another very famous night in Paris, Larry. Um, how did you enjoy your Champions League morning? Oh, Tom, fantastic! I mean, I know it was early hours for us, but if I could use a, in the in the spirit of a French cuisine, if I could prop out some champagne, bring out some creme brulees for breakfast, I'll happily snack on it because Manchester United just ran rampant in Paris once again. Well, you definitely won't be having your uh, creme brulees with um, Anthony Martial. Oh, should we rip into it now, or should we wait oh, for no, no, the yeah, time we'll, is right? We'll save Martial. We'll try and start on some positives. But before we actually get started, I do want to maybe start this on a maybe a bit of a sombre note, and I think it's probably very important for the podcast maybe to take a moment's silence and um, dedicate this episode to Virgil Van Dyke. The um, very sad, sad news that he's supposedly never going to play football again, and the whole football in world should. Be wearing, um, showing their signs of support, wearing black armbands, t-shirts in support of the Liverpool defender. Larry, have you ever seen anything like this reaction to a knee injury? It's Liverpool fans, mate. Like, what can we say? It's not. I it's mean, not just Liverpool fans. It's the media and everything. But the love ins with Liverpool at the moment. As long as Manchester United aren't doing well, it's just it's the love in for whoever's on top. Well, whoever's keeping Manchester United from reaching the pinnacle again, it's just the love in. And look, to be honest, it's ridiculous. Look, can, just on that tackle, because I think this is a serious issue in the broader scheme of football. Appalling decision by the referee. No doubt about it, right? With VAR and the referee and the two touchline judges on the, at the pitch, to miss that and to not... Pickford didn't even get a foul. Your favourite player, T-Rex Pickford, with his short arms, can't make a save to save his life. But horrible injury. Um, nonetheless, I wish Van Dyke a, a full recovery. But yeah, the carry-on from... Liverpool fan, I've seen some petitions, I've seen, you know, get Pickford suspended. There's outrageous, outrageous sentiments and look, Tom, let's just, we've had an awesome night. Let's focus on United. Rest in peace to Virgil van Dijk's career, whatever. I'm sure he'll bounce back. If he doesn't, so be it. Well, exactly. And it doesn't matter because we currently have the best centre-back in the league in Axel Tuanzebi, who we will get into in a very short bit. But we will start on the starting eleven as we always do. I think we'll, we'll go through some of the individual performance and then obviously Solskjaer a little bit and obviously the incidents in and throughout the match. But I think we'll start on De Gea again. And obviously I'll start from the back. And again, I said it in the last podcast and you and me both differ on this opinion a little bit. I'm still sceptical, no matter how good De Gea has been lately and especially this morning, which I'm going to be full of praise for, I'm still sceptical and I don't agree with having Henderson and De Gea at the club at the same time. However, when you see a performance like that from De Gea and these performances recently, but especially this one against PSG, he's rising to this challenge and well, he's putting me in my place because it's maybe proven to be the correct decision. Well, this is what I've been saying the whole way through and I understand your stance of, you know, you've got an elite or Premier League quality goalkeeper at the very least in Dean Henderson just warming the bench. But when you look at the level of performance that the Spaniard is now pulling out, he was unreal again today. Unreal. Some of the saves he made out of this world. And he's starting to return to the De Gea of old. Can I say, De Gea is known for his reflexes. I really want to highlight this. Uh, I think it was not long... I think it was in the first half. He, he De Gea does a brilliant long ball to Martial, who was out on the right at the time. And that's a ball... If that was Edison, you wouldn't stop hearing about it from pundits. I thought it was fantastic and... Oh, mate, seriously, if, if Henderson being at the club means De Gea's actually got a competitor, because I feel like that's what we've been lacking. And now that he's actually has to be on his toes and has to keep up a certain level of performance, you're seeing it. You're seeing the benefit for United. No, definitely. And we'll, look, we'll touch on De Gea a little bit later as well. I'm sure he'll be in a lot of people's 3-2-1s. 
But we'll start on it. Maybe this would be a Solskjaer thing and a, and a team issue as well. But a lot of us picked it before the match. I actually thought he was going to do it against Newcastle. A lot of people thought he would save it for this PSG game, which they obviously proven correct, that he would move to a 3-5-2. So I don't think there was any shock in seeing the 3-5-2. But just your thoughts on... It does still get a little bit of criticism. Everyone's saying, oh, it's a Manchester United team. We shouldn't be lining up with a sort of so-called five at the back, five defenders. It's extremely defensive. However, the way I look at it now... Look, it can be a defensive system. It can also also be one of the most attacking systems there are. But I just look at it and think, while it is set up to sort of favour our defensive sort of attributes in terms of you know, keeping it nice and solid and sort of focusing on the counter-attack, uh, compared to when we played with Jose Mourinho, and it wasn't a 3-5-2 under Jose Mourinho, but we looked at when we parked the bus, it was literally parking the bus and let's see what can happen. This was a defensive performance by Solskjaer but with the intent to go and win the match, with an intent to go and risk everything. And I think that was the difference. 100%. And formations don't make football teams. You know, it's the attitude in which a team wants to play with. A 4-4-2 can be defensive, for example. It can revert into a diamond shape where it's very compact and then, you know, then the two strikers spread out almost like wingers on the, in the fence um, when you're counter-attacking. It just depends how the team wants to set up. Now, when you look at Paris Saint-Germain man for man, you'd have to say they have the better footballers. Um, We'll go into the team selection, which I also feel like plays a hand here. But look, I have no issue with how Solskjaer played. I I can't understand this sentiment of where Manchester United, unless you're a Liverpool or a Manchester City where your style of football is set and man for man, you do have the better players, particularly away from home. That's another factor here then you have to say, Solskjaer's damned no matter what he does. He gets criticised if he's doing the same thing, he's naive, he's a novice, and then when he tries to tactically set up for the opposition, what's he doing? He's not sticking to the Manchester United way. I'm, I have no issue with how he set up, and clearly we got the results, so it's not even a debate for me. No, definitely. Now, we will get into the personnel now. Now, obviously, Harry Maguire didn't make the trip, so Lindelof was a straight pick in, obviously, the three-five-two. We all picked... Luke Shaw to maybe play that left side centre-back, which he did last year. But the surprise inclusion... Well, I'd say it was a surprise inclusion, but a very a good inclusion was Axel Tuanzebe featured for the first time in pretty much a year. And um, what a performance. Just start your praise of Tuanzebe because I can go on for an hour. Um, I'll let you get your two cents in now. Mate, fantastic. Honestly, like he didn't put a foot wrong. And when you think how much football he's missed, you would have thought, oh, he'll come in on a League Cup game when he's fit. We've been hearing his fit maybe just for about a week, and all of a sudden he's just come into United's biggest game against the most difficult opponents we've faced so far this season, and he doesn't put a foot wrong. What sequence was it in the second half? He he went pace for pace with Mbappe. Yeah. He's clearly got he's clearly got some gas, and he was fantastic, Tom. He really was, and it makes you wonder. And look, it's very early days, but if Tuan Zabi he he has to play at the weekend now, surely, right? Like, you can't leave him out of the side. When, when he performs to that level, he keeps Mbappe and Neymar quiet. And he doesn't put a foot wrong. And you just think, what does Harry Maguire like? It's pace. And I almost wonder, if that was Maguire there, that I mean, it's probably at least a shot on goal by Mbappe. So, credit where it's true. I thought, you don't win that game without Tuanzebe's performance today. Absolutely immense. Well, with Tuanzebe in, in regards to looking forward to the weekend... I think 100% because with Tuanzebe, like Eric Bay, every single discussion you have with him, you're going to have to include the injury cloud. And what I'll be doing, I'll be getting him on a plane now, wrapping him in cotton wool, making him go in and quarantine until we travel to Chelsea or until Chelsea arrive at Old Trafford. 
do everything we can to keep him fit because it was a perfect. You don't want to sort of overhype, but he's still a young. Well, he's still a young, very young player, but extremely young in regards to football in um, years in terms of his time on the pitch. But I th- he was not just perfect, but you have to apply. He was up against two of the most dangerous attackers in world football in Neymar and Mbappe, and Neymar and Mbappe. There's a lot of memes going about how sort of every, they were in everyone's pocket and everything, but they played quite well. They were dangerous. And Tuan Xavier just stepped up, and I don't think people can underestimate how difficult that will be. Not only to come back into a senior football match in, a, in the Champions League, let alone, but in the Champions League against quality attackers like that, Tuan Xavier, that was... Look, you, whether you go and put a 10 out of 10 performance, if you're doing player ratings like that, I'm not quite sure. But I think when you add everything together, it is almost a 10 out of 10 performance. Dare we say, Tom, for how old is he, 23? He showed some genuine leadership in the absence of our captain. Leadership doesn't have an age. Some players are just natural-born leaders, and I think Axel showed his leadership today. Well, I think and leadership will play a little bit of a part in this podcast, but I think one of the best things about his sort of leadership is he doesn't make mistakes. We've seen with Bruno, which we'll get into, he has his own style of leadership. Harry Maguire has his own style of leadership. Axel Twanzavi just leads by example. Like he, he is a very vocal player by all reports. Obviously, we can't tell that by watching on the TV, but he is someone who sort of communicates quite well. But he just doesn't put a foot roll. He's always in position. He's always sort of... You can see him visibly like pointing and everything. So, again, um, just praying to God he's fit for the weekend because I think... Um, look, Harry Maguire very well might be fit, but um, Tuan Xavier, I think, definitely deserves to play against Chelsea. But another T in the defensive... Um, one, or if you call the, the wing-backs part of the defence. Um, Alex Tellez made his debut, and again, you don't want to overhype him. I don't think like, it was a 10 out of 10 performance from Tellez. However, I thought he was very good. It was almost excellent in terms of coming in for your Man United debut, again, against a top-quality PSG team who were in the Champions League a few, a few months ago, not even a few months ago. I thought Tellez was fantastic. He showed what United have been lacking in terms just some of the crosses he put in. Like, we've really lacked that class. It wasn't until we've had someone on the pitch who can actually do it where I was like, wow, we've really missed this. Um, he wasn't brilliant, but he didn't need to be. I thought everything he did was done, it was done with a purpose and it was steady and it was a very good performance. So, for, considering it was his first game with the team, and you know what? Again, credit to the manager here because he throws in two and Zabi, he throws in Tellez. One hasn't played in nearly a year. One, it's his first game with the club. He, there's no familiarity. There's no, you know, cohesion between the defenders. We've got Luke Shaw playing left centre-back and Tellez and Tuan Zabi. It was, had all the recipes for a disaster, but Tellez, a wonderful debut, and he'll remember that one, and um, he'll only get better, for sure, with the more games he plays. He has one hell of a delivery on him, doesn't he? It's like David Beckham with the left foot. Honestly, yeah. I, I'm excited of the prospects of once the players who are central actually can know what ball is, anticipate what ball's going to come in. Our attack's going to go to another level. And it just makes you think, like, we spoke about that lack of preseason in United, and obviously we'll continue to uh, review the match, but uh, you're seeing that sharpness return to our players. So I'm really excited at the prospect of someone who can actually deliver. Once you, say, put a Fernandez, a Pogba, Martial, Rashford at the end of those crosses, um, I think United could be quite the prospect. Now, just moving forward into midfield. Now, you look at our last two performances have been, without question, our best two performances of the season. But if you were to, on paper, rank all our central midfielders currently at the club, you'd have Fred and McTominay probably at the bottom of that list. However, they've both been included over those big names at the moment, 
and they've given two very good performances. And who would have thought at this time last week you would have said, we'll go and get six points from Newcastle and PSG and Fred and McTominay will be your two midfielders. Tom, I know we're going to get into three ones, but Fred was absolutely fantastic. Well, speaking of the partnership between Fred and McTominay, they're obviously the partnership again back when we played Paris two years ago. And I thought McTominay, if I was to pick a bad player in the first half, I would have thought of McTom- was McTominay, but not through so much of his doing. I just thought Neymar and Mbappe were just sort of picking up a little bit of sort of the pockets in behind McTominay and almost doubling up on him. And he was ma- it was making it so hard for him because no matter who you are, even if you're the best defensive midfielder in the world, which Scott McTominay isn't, if you have Neymar and Mbappe playing in and around you, it's going to be a challenge. And when you think about it, they're two of the best players in the world. And McTominay is this kid from Scotland. I thought McTominay did extremely well. However, it's come out that he played the first half, he lost a contact lens right at the start of the match, so he's playing with one contact. Now, I don't know, I've got very good eyes, I don't need contact lenses, but if you speak to people who do, which I'm sure some of our listeners will appreciate, that would be extremely, sort of, extremely, sort of, not concerning, but um, challenging. Like, because when I was actually watching the game, again, knowing nothing about eyesight, I actually questioned to myself, it looks like he's got like a depth perception problem because he got into really good positions in terms of defending positions against Neymar and Mbappe and he was doing everything right. But his timing was completely off. And you saw sometimes when he was challenging those two players, they were the one with the ball and McTominay went to put a challenge on them. But McTominay was the one falling over. And it looked like a real balance issue. And I thought, he's got something wrong with his perception at the moment. Just completely not knowing anything about the contacts, but it completely makes sense when the information does come out after the game. But just what your thoughts on McTominay, because if we were to pick a... Okay, look, we'll get into Anthony Martial in a bit. But I think if we were to do sort of player ratings, I think McTominay would sort of rank towards the bottom of the team. However, in saying that, I still think he was extremely good. Yeah, one of those players where it's simple but effective. Um, I totally take your point in his depth at times. Um, and that's the question I've had over him when he plays in that you know, that number six role. I just don't feel like it's a natural fit for him. And I know we'll talk about the tactical switch which uh, Solskjaer made when Pogba came on. Um, but yeah, I mean, but he still wasn't bad. He was still effective. His work rate was there. And that's the thing you get with McTominay. His greatest asset is his work rate. And um, I think if if nothing else, he kept the midfielders on their toes. Um, you know, Mbappe, Neymar, he was always a nuisance um, in and around the midfield, progressing to those forward players. So I take your point. I don't think it was as effective or as good as, say, Fred was, but um, still played a role, no doubt. And I, I don't think Solskjaer played a wrong card by starting him. Yeah, no, definitely. A lot of credit, I think, goes to McTominay in terms of his contribution. But we will get into the actual game and actually what happened in the game. And obviously, it comes with the Man United ticket these days, um, a Bruno Fernandes penalty. Now, obviously, he missed the one on the weekend. And he, he sort of, in his post-match interview, said he won't miss the next one. He um, obviously had the chance to sort of rectify his mistake. And quietly, probably not surprising, he did miss it. What were your thoughts on that first penalty? Oh, um, look, I, I thought he'd look nervous. He looked nervous to me. Um I think there's a little bit of doubt, and naturally, right, he missed a penalty, and I think this is why you see teams that when players do miss a penalty, they might switch it up for the next game if it's quite consecutive in terms of the matches, but look, he gets the second opportunity, uh, Navas was off his line, clear as day, um, versus what De Gea had to do against Palace in the opening match, but I digress, um, and then he takes the second penalty well, and i got to say, he shows balls to take it, put it in the exact same spot he puts the first one. Well, I'll tell you what, that second so, penalty, when we first awarded the penalty, maybe it's the pessimistic in me, but I was thinking, 
he's missing this. You can just tell. Like I said last week with Van Nistelrooy, once Van Nistelrooy missed one, he started missing a few. So I thought as soon as he got that penalty, oh no, he's going to miss it. So he does miss it. But then when the camera angle goes to him and it's obviously confirmation that there's got to be a retake, he picked up the ball and I just, he's scoring this now. There was just a confidence in him. So, and it comes back to that leadership. You just thought, no, he knows he's got to fix this and you backed him to score it as soon as that retake. Um, I think all of us wish we had marbles the size of Bruno because I couldn't imagine the pressure that he would have been under on that second penalty. Well, yeah, if you miss twice in a row, I mean, you're digging a hole, um, particularly against the class of opposition that we were versing. But like you said, Bruno's a leader. Um, you can criticise his final ball at times. And I actually thought Bruno was actually, overall, his performance was quite sloppy today. But look, when the clutch moments come, um, I don't think you want anyone else stepping up for you. And he did that today. Now, on to the other end of the pitch. Well, it was the same, it was the same end of the pitch as the second half. Um, the Anthony Martial own goal. Now... Look, it's an own goal. However, I'm not going to criticise Martial for it. He, he, he does nothing wrong. He, he's at the front post. It's his job to get up and try and get something on the ball. It's just a little bit high for him and he's reaching for it. He has to go for it. He can't duck and just hope someone clears it behind him. He definitely has to go for it. And um, just unfortunate, it was just a little bit too high for him and he's caught it on just on his way down. Yeah, class header though. Jeez, fantastic. First goal of the season for Tony, just on the wrong net. Um in all seriousness, I'm not going to be too harsh on him. Um, but I've got to say, his overall performance left little to be desired from me. And you know you know, I love Martial. He's my favourite player. But he, he's, he looks a little heavy to me. I don't know if my eyes are playing tricks on me or that my TV's resolution has changed. But Tommy looks heavy. He looks like he needs to drop a few kilos and just get that sharpness back in his game. You mentioned that after the after the own goal he showed a few glimpses and moments where he was like this is class and a forward play and i agree with you um he had the opportunity where current call if it was a header or a shot but there was an opportunity not too long after that where he could have finished um but yeah I, he just needs to put more work rate in his game i'm not happy with how he's playing at the moment yeah well, look, i thought he was poor overall however as i said that 10 minutes after the own goal i thought he was brilliant but um yeah it was a few and far between my concern isn't so much his form. I can accept a player, a striker, being out of form. Like, he's brilliant towards the back end of last season, so now he's in a bit of a rough patch. That's fine. Hopefully he gets out of it. That's going to happen to all the players. My concern with Martial here is he hasn't scored a goal. Suddenly we could be 10 games into the season with no goals, and we're almost demanding from Martial this season. We're almost almost expecting 30 goals from him. Suddenly, if he, if he doesn't score soon, He's a, you don't want to over-exaggerate, but he might be lucky to score 10 or 15 goals this season if he doesn't get the going soon. I think once he scores, he'll he'll score in the bunches. Um, we saw that in the back end of last season. And it's just, you know how it is. Like, you know, you've played football at a decent level. Once you score one goal, it's just it gives you that confidence again. And then you back yourself in those positions. He got the penalty. Um, whether it was a penalty, it was a bit dubious. I won't lie, but... You know, I think once he can get one, I, I'm confident he'll get a few more. But for us to achieve what we want to achieve this season, he needs to start putting him in the back of the net. Um, you know, obviously we do have Cavani now, um, and that'll help. But I think Martial's going to be relied upon, and hopefully he can start finding some form soon. Well, someone definitely in form. Um, Marcus Rashford, MBE, slash Dr. Rashford. Um, fantastic. Again, I thought he was very good. A lot of people sort of labelled how wasteful he was. And yeah, he was wasteful in that final third at times. However, I thought the work he did to get into those positions was fantastic. I thought he was as good as he was against Newcastle and fully deserving of that goal. He had a very good shot before, which was saved. 
But um, I just had that feel in the last 10 minutes. We'll get into the tactical switch soon. But in that last 10 minutes, you could sense a goal coming. And I, I did have a sense it was going to be Rashford if a chance did fall to someone. And um, what a strike to win it. Yeah. Um, the defender's name is it Diallo. He, he just doesn't quite get close to Rashford, which is criminal with someone with that pace. You knew it. Once he got it onto that right foot, he was always going to shoot. And there was a moment not too long before that where he shot across his body and Navas had to make a last-ditch save. Um, look, I thought Rashford was good. Yes, he was wasteful. And Tom, I, I want to pose a question to you. We've debated on this podcast numerous occasions, can Rashford be world-class? It's in these moments, though, like his, his goal record against, you know, big six in the Premier League or... You know, PSG scores in the Champions League. He scores again here. It just makes you wonder. I've got to give you a two-sided question. Can Rashford be world-class? Because after this performance, I'm confident in saying I actually feel like he can. But the other side to this is, could could it possibly be that he does end up as a centre-forward? Because I know we've... I can't believe I'm bringing this debate back, but I look at his performance against Newcastle, and he was very mobile and... His, we both agreed it was his best best centre-forward performance, probably for United. And then he backs it up again today where I'd say his most dangerous moments came when he was central. Is it possible that he ends up as a centre-forward once he maybe feels out a bit more, learns to get that poacher instinct in his game? Look, yeah, he's still young. Like He'll still fluctuate between positions. I think central it might even drift to the right, but especially on the left. I think goals will determine if he ends up staying at centre-forward or not. If he doesn't sort of, I would say, improve that sort of clinical edge to his game. But if he isn't clinical over the next couple of years, I don't think he'll turn into a centre-forward. However, if he scores 30 goals over the next two or three seasons, there'll be no debate. He's a centre-forward. But in regards to the world-class debate, it's a, what's your definition of world-class? Some people say yes, some people say no. My personal opinion is no. I don't think the ability slash football IQ is there to be world-class. However... I think he can be fantastic and he can become a United legend with, without being world-class. I don't think he needs to be that. I think he can just be the best Marcus Rashford he can be and that will be more than good enough. Some people might class that as world-class. Personally, I can't see that at the moment where I look at someone like Neymar or Mbappe and obviously Marcus Rashford has shown them up today. But you know what I mean? I just I think it's not, not unfair to label sort of can he be world-class, but I just think it's a... Not a needless discussion, but it just puts a little bit too much expectation and pressure on him, I think. And that's fair. That's fair. Um, and I tend to agree with you. If he proves us wrong and ends up being a world-class striker or winger for United, look, happy to be proved wrong. Now, on to the main man, in my opinion, who we haven't really discussed yet, but um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. I would say, well, would you say this or agree with me? And feel free to disagree, but is this his best managerial performance for United? Oh, I mean, it's a difficult one. In the circumstances, I'll say yes, because United haven't been in form. Uh, the commentary was set up for Solskjaer to, have a, you know, to fail. And I've got to say, credit to the Norwegian, because every time he has come under pressure, if you can uh, you know, put your mind back to December last year, we were versing Tottenham and Manchester City back-to-back after some horrendous results. And Solskjaer pulls out a masterclass and beats them both on the bounce. No one gave him a hope. Similar here, United have a horrible start to the season, conceded the most goals since the season we got relegated in the, I think it was the 70s. And then he, here we are again. He pulls out a masterclass. And it wasn't just that PSG, like that we beat PSG. It was, we dominated Tom. He, yeah, we counter attack, but you can't tell me you felt threatened much throughout the match. 
like they had good players. Neymar and Mbappe, of course, made some good runs, but you always felt like we were in control of the result. And you have to say, like the we we touched on it earlier, the two and Zabi and Tellers um, selections. There was a lot of risk there, but he got it spot on. And credit to him, he, he's he pulls it out every time. And just when I started doubting me. He shows that tactical now. So look, I hope I hope he can be successful at United. We both want that. And let's just hope that, you know, look, we got another big game this weekend. So let's hope that he continues in this in this vein. Well, you talk about risk. I think that, and whether you want to say he's dropping, because he obviously didn't play on the weekend, so he's gone from the bench to the bench anyway. It's not really dropping. But a huge decision, again, is to leave Paul Pogba out. And you have to put that down to Solskjaer's bravery and sort of the command he has in the dressing room to drop your biggest player in a huge Champions League game. And I thought, and it was obviously tactical, you couldn't fit too many midfielders in there in the 3-5-2. But I thought it was a big shock. I, I would have put money on Paul Pogba starting this, but it's obviously proved to be the correct decision, not only the way we played, but when Paul Pogba came on, Pogba made a, I would say made a difference. I think the tactical switch was more sort of important than the actual personnel change. But Pogba came on and performed well and obviously got the assist for the winner. Yeah, definitely. And... I thought that it was the right decision. If you look at how disciplined uh, McTominay and particularly Fred were in that midfield, I mean, I'll ask you, do you think Pogba fulfills that role? Because I don't think he can. And it it's almost touches on what we mentioned in the last podcast. Paul Pogba te- technically is our best footballer. I have no qualms or no debate around that. But when you look at the system or the way that United and Solskjaer wants to play, is Pogba the best man for that job? I think you can upgrade in terms of who fits the system. And I think today just showed it, case in point, McTominay and Fred are nowhere near the footballers, but they set the catalyst um, for United to get the result they did. Yeah, no, definitely. Well, just on the Pogba thing, obviously when Pogba came on, it switched to a 4-4-2, but I just want to bring it to Solskjaer a little bit in terms of one of the biggest criticisms so many people have of him is his in-game management and making the wrong decisions and it's taking too long to change things and especially never really changing the formation. I think it was what won us the game because I think it was a very even game end-to-end and he made the change to go from a 5 at the back to a 4-4-2. And I thought as soon as that happened, I thought, we're going to win this game. As I said earlier in the podcast, I could sense a goal coming. And when we made that change, the game just flipped while it was still end-to-end. And look at the end of the day, PSG could have scored a goal and suddenly we lose 2-1. But I thought it was, as you say, almost a masterstroke. I thought it was a fantastic switch and one that made sense. One that he was proactive with. He didn't wait for something to happen. Um, hats off 100% to Solskjaer. 100%. And it's something that we've criticised him for in the past. But we'll say this. I don't think he does this if he doesn't get, say, the Van der Beeks of the world. Or the fact that Fred has you know, performed in the, in the last match. Um, or and McTominay, I should say. It gives, it gives him the confidence to say, you know what, I can actually play these guys. We saw toward the back end of last season that lack of rotation, which meant a lack of fluidity. I think now, because he's starting to back and believe in his players again, it's giving him that flexibility. When you have a Paul Pogba, when you have a Van der Beek on the bench, fantastic options. Um, so, look, credit to Solskjaer, for sure. Because, like you say, it wasn't until we made that switch that we actually looked like we could go on a score again. Yeah, no, well, Solskjaer definitely shut up a few sort of so-called United fans this morning, which was very nice to see online. Now, we will go on to the 3-2-1 votes um, now. And look, I kind of feel bad doing these 3-2-1s. Not, not so much bad in the way I did feel against maybe Tottenham, where we were scraping the bottom of the barrel trying to find points for someone. But in this way, what, so many people are going to miss out who I think deserve points. Because I, I think someone who, who probably gets zero points 
could easily be man of the match. So I think we will have a bit of a debate and disagreement on a few things here, but I'll pass to you for um, man of the match. Oh, you're giving me the honours. I'm honoured. Three points. That's a difficult one because I could make, again, you could make an argument for many people. I want to give it to Marcus Rashford. And, and the reason I say that is at the end of the day, goals are what counts. One goal made the difference. And Marcus Rashford scored that goal. And it wasn't a matter of a tap-in. He had to show the turn of pace. He got the shot nailed on. Um, I could make a case for Wan-Bissaka. I could make a case for Tuanzebi. We've barely mentioned Wan-Bissaka. He was unreal today. There are so You could make a case for Fred, who I thought was fantastic. There are a lot of players where you can say if they didn't play the way they did today, we don't win that match. And that's true. But for me, the clutch moment, Marcus Rashford, he scores the winner. And goals are what count. Well, you put me on the spot there. Jesus, that stumped me because I don't... Oh, look, Rashford, I thought was very good. I didn't have him in my three, though. I thought the man you just mentioned there, Wan-Bissaka, I thought, again, when you... You just have to be online. You have to look at the week Wan-Bissaka had. And again, the football is played on the grass. It's not played online. But he has had a horror week or a horror couple of days on social media. And um, look, he had a very good performance. He has Newcastle capped off with a goal. But coming into here a Champions League match against... This is obviously his first Champions League game for United. And he's coming against Neymar and Mbappe, who will almost switch him back and forth against him. And again, did not put a foot wrong. Some of those tackles, there was that one tackle in the second half where the first instinct was he got the ball, but then went VAI, thought, oh, God, this is the one we always have a bit of a fear with Wan-Bissaka. God, they're great tackles, but one time he's just going to miss time one and give away a stupid penalty. But it went to VAR, and again, it was a textbook tackle. And I just think Neymar and Mbappe just... I mentioned it before, they are so good. And to not not give them a sniff, I think Mbappe turned him inside out once and got a good shot away, which De Gea saved. But one Bissaka, I thought, again, almost like Fred or Fred and um, Tuan Zabi, I could almost argue they turned out of ten performances. So I don't know if I've swayed you. I don't think I've swayed you, but um, yeah, I think we're on different pages there in regards to man of the match. Uh, look, I, I'd mentioned Wan Bissaka, and like I said, Tom, like I think it's a it's a flip of a coin. If you want to flip a coin for who gets the three points, I'm happy to do it. Um, but look, I, I'm all about the clutch moments, and for me, it's Rashford. But if you want to give it to Wan Bissaka, let's I, give I, it to Wan Bissaka. I'll tell you what we'll do this way because it is a hard one, um, and there's so many different options. We'll put a poll up on Twitter, and um, we'll just put the percentages. So whoever, whoever gets the most votes will end up with our three points. Whoever has the second vote will get the two points. And um, but we'll put, um, let's say, actually we'll, actually, we'll discuss a few more players, and then um, I think that's how we can determine it this week because I think we could do a whole podcast on. Who deserves the points? Will take too long, but just going on there. We've obviously mentioned Aaron Bissaka. Anything else you want to mention on David De Gea? Because I thought again we mentioned at the start of the podcast, but again, match winning saves. Oh, this is the hard one. So I think we've kind of put ourselves in a corner. Three, two, one has to go. Well, three and two has to go to Wan-Bissaka or Rashford. You d- you depend on what order. The one point again to Anzabi, fantastic. But De Gea. The key moments, Tom, like, it wasn't like we didn't have shots on goal. There were shots, and again, he pulled out crucial saves. So for that, I want to give it to the Spaniard. Um, I just think, we, I've touched on it with Rashford. In those clutch moments, you need someone to step up, and De Gea is really showing his class again, and dare I say it, he's starting to look like the goalkeeper we had before the last 18 months. So, yeah, I'm, I'm more than happy for De Gea, and... I have to give him the one point on this one, unless you can disagree with me and you want to put a poll up for that as well. 
Well, I don't know, because I still argue, we could argue, you mentioned at the start of the podcast as well, Fred. I thought Fred was you know, fantastic, almost the best midfielder on the pitch. And if you're the best midfielder on the pitch in that type of game, I mean, almost, in my opinion, it means you're the best player. So, look, it's hard, but we'll go on maybe to the Facebook comments. It might give us a little bit more clarity of what the listeners are thinking. There was a lot of comments, so we'll go through sort of everyone's three, two, ones. Um, hopefully don't skip any ones. But Jake on Facebook said, two ones, Aby for three points, one Basaka for two, and Fred for one. Rob has given men of the match to one Basaka, two on Zabi, two points, and David De Gea, one point. Adrian, who was on the podcast last week, one Basaka, man of the match, David De Gea for two points, and Fred for one point. It also says shout out to Marcus, two on Zabi, and Tellers, who really impressed as well. Josh, who's been on the podcast many times, said three, two, ones for him are De Gea, two on Zabi, and Rashford, but could include the other four defenders and Fred as well. Huge result, bring on Chelsea. Just move on to the last two comments. Steve Smith on Facebook said, The management of Pogba I see is key to how the whole team performs and our real ambitions for the season. He played well from the bench and made a difference. You have to put this down to the man management of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, which we both mentioned before. Completely agree. And the last um, comment was George on Facebook said, Very good tactical flexibility shown from Ole to go from a 3-5-2 to the 4-4-2 diamond when we're chasing the game. And just moving on to the Chelsea game before we wrap up the podcast, he just sort of finishes it with a question, which I'll throw to you, Larry. Do you think the diamond is something we can move forward with? Because if you're playing a game like Football Manager or FIFA, if you want to include our best players and everyone's favourite players, I know on FIFA myself, I play with the diamond because I can get Pogba on the left, I can get Van der Beek on the right, I can get Bruno at number 10, and then you can have, say, McTominay or Matic at the base. It accommodates our players so well on paper. But obviously, like I mentioned so many times, football's not played on paper. Do you think that is something Solskjaer will move forward with? Um, he definitely has the option, and um, he, he played that way, if you can recall, when he first joined United. He deployed the diamonds a lot um, in those bigger games. It seems he's moving towards favouring a three or a five at the back, depending how you want to look at it, in those bigger matches, uh, moving away from the 3-5-2. The only reason I'd say you can't do a diamond in most cases, and it would depend, and again, this isn't a criticism, but he reverts to that when we're going to play counter-attack, and I just think with Harry Maguire's lack of pace, I'm not sure if you can play with two at the back in that system. Um, McTominay would have to be in the six for me if you're going to play with the diamond, because I don't think Matic is mobile enough um, to really cover the ground needed. So there's a few holes to fill there. I think it's definitely possible. I think it's something he can turn to when we're chasing a goal. But I think in the matches where he's, you know, it's an opponent where we're not going to have much ball, I think he will rather stick with that 3-5-2 as opposed to a, a typical diamond. Well, on the Chelsea game, what do, do you see much change? Because obviously Martial drops out through suspension. Cavani will obviously be available. Harry Maguire's fitness will be up in the air, I'm sure. Um, Solskjaer will touch on that in these pre-match press conference. We're not quite sure on that. But is there anyone you think... Because, well, first of all, do you think we go with a 3-5-2? It's obviously at home to Chelsea, but do you think... Or do you think it reverts to a 4-3-3 or a 4-2-3-1, however you look at it? I think he'll play 4-2-3-1. Uh, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to recall back when the last time we versed Chelsea... I mean, scrap the FA Cup. We've played three at the back against them in the last few matches, haven't we? Yeah. Perhaps, perhaps he does stick to that. He does stick to that. I retract my statement. Um, you can only go off history. Do, do you um, think Maguire he does will come back. And again, it's an empty Old Trafford. But do you think he does that at Old Trafford for a home game? I think so because if 
at, 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 like we've said, you know, it's not about the formation. It, it's the purpose you play with. And I think that we might actually still get more ball um, in this case, but I think he'll still play like that to counter Chelsea's threats. You've got Werner, you've got Hudson-Odoi, um, you've got Pulisic. You know, there's a few really threatening players. And he's gone against better players, I'd argue, in Neymar and Mbappe. It's an effective system, and I think it'll counter Chelsea's strengths. So I'd be... I'd be completely understanding if he wants to play that way again. So if you're looking now at those two, you've got two central midfielders, you, let's assume Bruno's going to be that number 10, that more advanced midfielder, there's going to be two sitting in behind him. The last two on everyone's list will be Fred McTominay. However, if you're going off evidence, the last two games, Fred McTominay almost should be the first names on the team sheet. Or do you think a Matic or a Pogba will step in there? That's a great question, Tom. Um, Thank you. I think Pogba comes back in for this one. You think Pogba comes back in. Um, now, to say who would come out, I'd say McTominay comes out. I think he'll go with a Fred and a Pogba. But, look, I could, I could be wrong. Like, it's a guessing game, and, but it's a good headache to have. We've got some really good players. And you know what? Solskjaer has actually said about Van der Beek, his time will come where he'll start starting games. Maybe Van der Beek gets a start. It would not surprise me at all. Bruno's played lots of football. He's the only midfielder, really, who hasn't had a rest. You could make a case for... Bruno potentially getting a rest. It's great to know that it's not clear anymore because we've got players performing and players that can fill those positions. Yeah, no, definitely. But actually, just on the last position, which we didn't touch on in regards to the Chelsea match, Martial is obviously out. Um, Cavani is obviously ended his quarantine, uh, didn't make the trip to Paris and obviously wasn't fit enough or hadn't had enough training sessions. But you would assume he will be involved in some way against Chelsea. Can you see him doing a Tellers, a Solskjaer doing a Tellers and, or two and Xavier and just throwing him in the deep end? Yeah, I could. I could. I know I said for this match, I didn't think he'd get it purely for the work rate, but I think we'll be on the front foot in this game and I think he could start Cavani purely through a lack of options. I don't know what's happened to Mason Greenwood. Um, Solskjaer said he has a little injury, but we haven't really heard anything of what that is. But hopefully he's back because, you know, with Cavani obviously just starting out, you'd like to think we can bring off Mason off the bench at the very least. But, yeah, I think he goes Rashford and Cavani up front to kick us off. No, it sounds good. Yeah, really looking forward to seeing Cavani go. But um, I've enjoyed this podcast because I remember when we finished the last podcast, we were thinking, what was the score prediction for PSG? And it was more in hope. Both of us sort of saying a one or draw would be fantastic. And that was obviously going to be, you know, I think both of us, if we were going to put money on it, we were sort of tipping PSG to win. So I was expecting a bit of a, a downer on the podcast. But um, what a day it has been. Champions League, there's nothing better than starting your Champions League mornings a, a midweek, a Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday morning here than beating PSG in their own backyard. Yeah, for sure. A fantastic start to the group. And look, to progress, you only need to win your home games. We've started with a big win against um, the strongest side in the group. So if we can return that result against Leipzig, I think we're in good stead. No, definitely. Now, this podcast has been a day early. We usually try and release podcasts on a Thursday. But the reason we have done it today is obviously we're in a good mood, we want to talk about the PSG win, so getting it out a day early for all the listeners to enjoy. But also a podcast we're likely going to put out over the weekend for you to listen to. It's just something a little bit different. Now, obviously, we're both here in Sydney, the Man United Supporters Club here, but also up north in Brisbane. Um, the Brisbane Man United Supporters Club has just um, celebrated their 10-year anniversary. So I'll be getting Keith, their um, chairman, um, lifelong red I'll be getting him on the podcast just to talk about the Brisbane Supporters Club and just something different we're always talking about football and talking about the transfers 
etc. But this will be something different where we can talk about a supporters club, what's involved, um, and a little bit of the story of the Brisbane Supporters Club because they are a very good supporters club and many, many good stories. So that'll hopefully be up over the weekend for you to enjoy. Um, obviously either side of our victory over Fat Frank and the Chelsea boys. But um, much planned this weekend, Larry, besides the 3.30am alarm on on Sunday morning. Uh, yeah, I'll get some good Thai food Saturday night, be fat and plump to, you know, to resemble Fat Frank, and then up at 3.30 to hopefully discuss another win with you on Sunday evening. So bring it on, mate. Um, I'm going to say a 2-0 victory to Manchester United. You feeling some of that? Oh, you beat them 4-0 last year, so let's go 3-0, something in between. I like it. And on that, hopefully everyone enjoyed the podcast. Um, thank you for all the support and kind words lately. Um, we're all both loving all the interaction on Twitter and Facebook, so we really appreciate that. Again, make sure you're subscribed on your podcast app. Um, just so it pops up on your phone. You don't have to go searching for it every time. We really appreciate that. And if your podcast app allows some type of rating or review or a like system, please do. It does make us feel extremely, extremely good. And um, like we said in the podcast, send all your best wishes to Virgil van Dyke. Um, Larry, until next week, um, have a good one, mate.